Um, so glad to be with you, and good morning. Um, this video, for, for those of you, it just occurred to me that there are probably people here who maybe weren't here when all of this was going on, or you know, busy lives couldn't keep track of it all. Um, but this, this video, Dangerous Neighbors, was created to document how and why the Edwards Coal Plant, which is north of Bartonville and just south of Pekin on the Peoria side of the river, why it was closed, why it closed in December of this last year, 2022. And if you are not aware how this all started, and I sort of, I get the starting year wrong, it's either 2012 or 2013. Uh, our local Sierra Club meets, uh, at that time, it was before COVID, and we met um, every month. And after one of the meetings in a cold month, I remember, um, we had a um, staff person from the Illinois Sierra Club Beyond Coal campaign ask if anybody wanted to stay after the regular meeting and talk about the Edwards Coal Plant. And so that was um, the beginning of learning about one of the dirtiest coal plants in Illinois uh, that also has uh, an excess of a 90-acre toxic coal ash pond on its site just behind a levee along the Illinois River. And the Edwards plant, just sort of background, contributed uh, over its 50-year lifespan to much harm to the health and lives of people living in the pollution range, you know, when it puts it out of the smokestacks. And this include, included Pekin and also the south side of Peoria. I, I know that when I was working with Planned Parenthood, uh, and Bernie probably knows this too, um, that just anecdotal evidence was that children who lived on the south side always had more asthma and respiratory problems than other children in the city. And that plant had, plus other industrial pollution, but that plant had a part in that. And because of that work, we created um, activists, uh, an organization called Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance, and we referred to it as Chica. And it was absolutely grassroots. We had a staff person from Sierra Club assisting, but it was all volunteers doing, doing the majority of the work. And after our church adopted the process for adopting um, social justice projects out in the community, we became, as a church, a member of Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance. So what this documentary is, is, is describing is because we had a part of that and all of you had a part of that. And I think our area deserves, you know, I'm glad we'll be out on, on the uh, airwaves here or the internet waves because this church had a large had a large role in that. There were so many people that came out over those years to support this effort. And this documentary, um, in essence, I think, for me, it tells the story of people taking charge and working together. And that's sort of the crux of it. I, I think we sometimes feel like, oh, what can I do? But when we do it together, we can win sometimes. So if we could 
go to the documentary. smokestack that you you know see all the time when you're driving south of town like do you know what that is and do you know what's coming out of those smokestacks and a lot of times people just had no idea we were already pretty aware that this power plant was causing a lot of harm in the community well when you look at the demographics of who's hurt most by the the coal plant it, it kind of runs the gamut i mean you have small children especially children with asthma uh, you know, may already have problems where they're going to the hospital or going to the doctor's office for asthma. This is just going to make it worse. Understanding who's impacted by pollution is a huge part of how we think about the work. Impacts are not neutral. They don't impact everyone equally. They impact some people more than others. And in a lot of coal plant communities, people who live in poverty, people of color, people who have underlying health conditions already because our systems have failed them, those people are impacted more. Communities of color lead in terms of asthma rates. They lead in terms of heart problems. They lead in terms of the uh, problems that lead to death as a result of these factors. When you look at the health impacts of the uh, the plant that we're talking about, yeah, I mean, you're talking about you know dozens of deaths every year. You're talking about scores of asthma attacks. You're talking about a lot of heart attacks, you know. And the community that's closest to the plant is hit the hardest because of where the emissions go. Um, so you know what you see coming out of the stack can really hurt the people in the community. I would always hear that the children on the south side of Peoria, in the public schools, always that they had more asthma problems than the kids on the north side. I'm a mother of six kids. Four of my children and myself as well had breathing issues due to the coal plant. I grew up on the south end of Peoria. I developed asthma as an adult, and so I never really thought that it could have been because I was a victim of air pollution um, because of my environment. And so it wasn't until I joined the Sierra Club board um, and started to really learn about the effects of pollution on communities of color that I was able to link the two. I remember being about 12 when everything, like the, the movement, I guess, first started happening. And it was, it was pretty crazy because I'd never seen anything like it. Like being in middle school, there were just so many people that I knew with inhalers and so many people that I saw every day with breathing problems, but we never knew that there was like one common denominator. And having heard from people living on the South Side for 50 years, you know, their families, people who thought that it was just that they had asthma in their family, not realizing that it was the air that they were breathing. Our 
country had decided that it was okay to continue polluting our air, polluting our water, and really we were facing an existential human crisis, and it was because we were okay with corporations, you know, making money off of this. We begin to trust, well, you know, the EPA, our local legislators, they're gonna, they're not gonna let a company pollute and put all this stuff into the air and the water. Wrong, wrong. That's what was happening. They were all getting the variances saying, oh yeah, just, you, you, can, you can put this extra pollution in the air, you know, and, and we'll deal with it later. And so part of why we got involved in Peoria is um, we started looking around at the, the fleet of coal plants across Illinois and, and the Edwards plant just really stood out. Um, it lacked modern pollution controls and the area around it, um, the ambient concentration of sulfur dioxide, a very harmful air pollutant, was way over the levels that are safe for, um, for people to breathe. And so the Environmental Protection Agency sets standards based on public health. And so in other words, the air quality around Peoria was exceeding those public health standards, in part because of the Edwards coal plant. Our legal team filed a notice of intent to sue. Ultimately, we filed a lawsuit over those violations, and then a court agreed with us that yes, in fact, the Sierra Club, uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, and other plaintiffs, that our claims were valid, that in fact, they were violating the Clean Air Act. This has all put pressure, federal regulations, lawsuits, state regulations, then even the economy has put pressure on coal plants because these plants are old, they're expensive, and they're not keeping up with the regulations, and it's not worth it to invest in them. We decided the coal plant needed to go. It needed to close. And it needed to close because of the health issues, but also because of climate change. We needed to stop that carbon pollution going up there. So we needed to start educating the public. When I first arrived to Peoria, the first thing I did and the first folks that I met with were the people who had been fighting. You know, there was a small, mighty crew of activists who had been working on environmental issues. Largely, you know, they had had some wins, but they also were not always optimistic that, that we could win a big fight, you know, when it came to actually shutting down the largest polluter in town. It's a long distance, and it is a long distance that requires a passing of a baton, that this is not ending. I mean, there is no, oh, we've made it, because there's always something. As, as long as we're living on this planet, there's always going to be something that we need to advocate for the people. When you're doing public interest work, you're always fighting against the mainstream. You're fighting sort of against standard business practices. So you don't get a victory every day. Otherwise, that would be the norm, right? It's, it's slow work, it's hard work, and you're fighting people who can spend a lot of money defending these cases. Well, it's, it's a slow pace and people give up and get discouraged and feel like you can't fight, you can't fight all that money and you can't fight all that power. You have to look at it the perspective of love and what's our choice. This is our, this is our earth, this is our planet. So even if it's small victories, it's worth the fight. What's the option? Give up? That's not an option. Uh, not when you got generations of life, all forms of life, 
waiting to see what you're going to do. So really understanding Dynagy's history and what they've done in other communities and how they've kind of cut and run and made risky bets and not had to really deal with the consequences, that entirely informed both how we talked about it to the community, but also how we decided what we were making asks of. We were the ones educating the lawmakers about the history of this company. We knew that a win wouldn't be just the closure of a coal plant. We knew that a win had to be a lot more things. We had to secure um, a cleanup plan for the site. We needed to talk about worker transition. And frankly, we needed to address what regulatory failings had made this circumstance be there in the first place. There's nothing worse to me than to uh, see somebody eliminate a problem and then you look, and here's a guy, oh, thanks a lot, buddy. You, you eliminated the problem, but now I don't have a job. My kids are starving because of you. So I didn't want that to happen. We have talked about a just transition from the first day that we started talking uh, about the fact that this plant needed to clean up or close. We didn't ask that the padlocks go on the day that the court ruling uh, went down. We said you can have until 2022 to close things down. I'm very grateful that the settlement happened. Two, I'm very grateful that that money was poured into this community and surrounding areas to address the environmental concerns, because that's literally what happened. I had the opportunity to be part of the legal team that negotiated the final settlement agreement in this case. And so when it was entered formally, finally in the court, I felt this immense sense of pride, not just in what we had accomplished through the case, but every piece of the work from the beginning to the end, and that community of folks who made it happen is a really special feeling. The process was successful because even though we had so many different people working on this, we all had one goal in mind and we all were focused on this one, this one thing. My sense of satisfaction when we got the ruling in 2016 that the Edwards coal plant was in violation, that we actually won that and that all of the pressure we had put on the system to change. It was this indication that we're gonna get something. The citizens are gonna get change. Edwards is particularly thrilling because I've worked really closely with a lot of the people who live right there and have been fighting this for years. Well, I was at the uh, federal hearing and when the federal judge came in and ordered them to close and ordered actually a monetary settlement, which will never make up for the health, but it's going to make a lot of difference. When we look at the settlement, I mean, it was $8.6 million that was going to be directed back to the community, to projects that would help improve uh, long-term employment for people, and to mitigate, at least in some part, the air pollution damage that has been done for literally decades in that community. We were able to do things in the settlement that we wouldn't necessarily have been able to do if we had simply won the case in court. And in addition to getting a retirement date for the plant, which is incredibly important so that we stop making pollution at that power plant, not just air pollution, but the, the water pollution, the coal ash waste that comes from burning coal, 
The thing that we did in this case that is unique and I hope replicable is that we set aside money for the community specifically for um, economic transition. We have been able to assist almost a thousand people since we have received that grant. And we're still being able to assist with jobs, with job assistance, with schooling. It, it is making a big difference. My favorite is going to be the one and a half million dollars for the local public health department, which is gonna fund asthma programs in the schools, asthma emergency medication in the schools. It's going to ensure that children with asthma in the community have kits to reduce the, the chance of asthma attacks at home. Um, and we're also gonna do early detection for lung cancer in the community. In some of the ways that we ultimately decided to spend that money, um, former plant workers are being prioritized for consideration and things like advanced training. There's also um, several local community organizations that will be offering training to folks who are often left out of the, um, the jobs that are available in the power industry. The truth is that those jobs, union jobs at power plants, still largely go to a certain set of folks, largely men and largely white men. The settlement will contribute to the socioeconomic improvement of uh, black and Latinx people in this area as well as obviously poor whites at the bottom. But uh, when you couple that with uh, the new energy laws that we're working on right now, and when you put those two things together, uh, that will make a tremendous change over time for this area. Now that the coal plants are gonna be closed, I think that it's gonna help tremendously for future generations who are growing up on the south end of Peoria. We would be the first community-advised settlement that went back to the community through an open competition for projects that we would fund. I knew it was critical to make that work so that a Sierra Club, National Resources Defense Council, and Environmental Law and Policy Center move forward. They decide to let the community voice dictate what happens next. You don't plan for people, you have to plan with people. Sierra Club reached out to the NAACP to be a part of the advisory committee because they just felt like we had the connection to the community and we would be able to be a part of facilitating the process of who these grants should go to and who has um, the most need. Jonathan Romain, uh, my wife and I, we founded Artists Reenvisioning Tomorrow Art Inc. and uh, purchased an old school building and turned it into a community arts center. When I found out that we were one of the recipients of this grant, we were overwhelmed with joy because we knew the impact that this will have on our programming and our longevity in terms of what, what our mission and goals are. One of the things is that, you know, we um, were able to reduce our energy bills by like 70%. And when you're talking about operating a 50,000 square foot building that's over 100 years old, 70% is a lot of money. And that money now can be switched over to programming, which is the most important thing about any nonprofit, is what you are actually doing for the community.
I'm Hannah Ramlow. I'm the founder and executive director of Soulside Healing Arts. We are a nonprofit yoga studio with the mission of expanding access to holistic wellness. Um, so we were thrilled to find out that we were one of the recipients of the grant. This is the biggest grant we've received to date. Our mission has been to expand holistic wellness, especially in neighborhoods that need it the most and may not have ever felt invited into some space like a yoga studio before. Not only do we want to bring yoga into communities, we want to empower people in those communities to become yoga teachers themselves and then bring those skills back to the communities they grew up in. I'm Chad Jones. I'm the superintendent of Hollis Consolidated School District number 328 in Peoria, Illinois. The people who uh, decided to award the funds, the Edwards Settlement Fund, um, decided that our school district could benefit from having an electric bus because I don't have to pay the bus company down the street to transport my kids anymore. We own our own bus. I feel like uh, we're, we're very blessed and very lucky to be fortunate enough to have something like this. And hopefully down the line, we can use it as an energy asset uh, and plug it in and put energy back into the grid, which hopefully will also help bring in some more revenue for our school. My name is Jamila Wilson. I'm program director for Peoria Corps. Peoria Corps is a workforce development AmeriCorps program. So we're the Domestic Peace Corps where members decide they want to give back in service and for their service they are able to earn an education award, they get a living allowance, and with our program, thanks to the Edwards Settlement Fund, we were able to supplement that living allowance by um, paying them up to $10 an hour for their work. So our focus is workforce development and training young people in green infrastructure. I think people need to know that the fight isn't necessarily for them. It's for the people that come after them. The fight isn't, it's to make the world better, not just to make them better. There's a lot of us who care about the air that we're breathing, the water that we're drinking, and sustainable living. And I, I don't think that anyone will pull away from the idea of being involved when there's so many different ways to be involved. I, I know for a fact that young people are aware of what's going on and it, it's becoming cooler and cooler to care. So I hope that that continues to happen. And so if we are not doing the work to ensure that those who come after us have good clean air, good clean water, in a safe environment to live in, then we're doing uh, our communities an injustice. I mean, if we can do this, my gosh, we can do it, we can do it. We can do it all. These days of large corporations and money hurting people, mm -mm, it's not gonna happen. They, they have to take responsibility. A future Peoria means a fairer Peoria, and a fairer Peoria means a fairer Peoria, not just for the people of non-color, but, but for the people of color as well. We always knew that this was about 
so much more than just the Edwards Coal Plant, that we wanted to make sure that this wasn't gonna happen in any other community in Illinois or in America, that we wanted to close the loopholes that were allowing these dirty coal plants to keep operating in these communities, that we wanted to make sure that they couldn't keep polluting our water and polluting our air, and that our regulators would just keep giving them permissions to continue to violate our air pollution laws. We wanted to now change the rules. So it's, it's less about finding our differences and more about finding where we are similar and where we share a similar experience and then rally beyond, behind that. If you're watching this video and you're still wondering by the end of the video, is it worth it? Can I make a difference? Please, please do not ever forget that it's when we're together, we make a difference. Thank you. Um, you may have noticed a few UUs in there, and, and Gary here is one of the stalwarts of that movement. Um, and Tracy Fox and Joyce Blumenshine um, aren't here today because, uh, well, number one, Joyce Blumenshine, who is a member here for many years, um, won't get on camera. <laughs> and, um, and Tracy and she both are they would have been here today, except um, they are working on the other project, this carbon dioxide pipeline project, um, which I'll, I'll end with. But I just want 
when we talked about the federal judge and the, the court case, that was um, federal judge McDade. And I just want to give him um, recognition because he listened, he understood what it was all about and the collective whole. And so we are lucky that we got him as the judge in this case. And I guess my, my last point um, is about, one of the main points of this is that we assume, some of us, that because we have all the federal regulations, we get all the things passed, that we're all safe. But we're not safe unless they're enforced. And what we found was in the, the, the lawsuit was based on something called opacity. That's the particles in the air that when you breathe them in, that's what damages your lungs. There were regulations about that. The data was all there for the federal and the state government to see and to have. But they kept giving variances. And it was the lawsuit, it was the Sierra Club experts who went through that data and found what was happening. And so we can't ever make the assumption, oh well, it's, it's, it's all okay because, because we've got those. It's all about enforcement. And we have to, we have to be vigilant as, as citizens, as neighbors, to make sure that the rules are being enforced. Which brings me to the carbon dioxide pipeline. So we've spent a decade working on closing that coal plant. Now the um, fossil fuel industry has figured out a way to get something passed through Congress that will monetize the carbon dioxide. We're gonna actually pay them to produce the carbon dioxide so that they can capture it, put it in pipelines, and put it in the ground in and primarily a lot of it in central Illinois. So our new battle is to stop these pipelines. Um, I encourage you to attend this meeting on August 19th. There's two of them, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, two different locations. There was a terrible um, carbon dioxide when you, you um, compress it after it's captured and to get it to flow in pipes, it's in a super critical state and it's very different than gas and oil and everything. Anyway, I don't wanna take up your time because I know you've been here a long time. But anyway, um, there was a terrible explosion in, in Mississippi uh, several years ago and we are bringing in the victims, a couple of the victims and an emergency responder who um, saved lives because of the carbon dioxide explosion. Um, so I encourage you to do that, and um, there's a website on here where you can get more information about all this, and we, I urge you to, to join us in this fight. So thank you again.